Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on this uh, weekend edition on 101.3 KPCG. Coming up on today's program, a look at some interesting headlines, also a historical note about World War II, some interesting facts about the war that you may not know. We'll cover those, as well as looking at a very important question when it comes to understanding the Bible. Should we use the Old Testament or not? We'll take a look at that and uh, preview what else is coming up this weekend here on KPCG. That and more in this weekend edition of Trumpet Radio Live. This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio. We're at 101.3 KPCG. I'm Dwight Falk. Grant Turgeon is here today, per usual. Today, this morning, was the coldest morning in central Oklahoma since last January. Wow. Yeah, it's freezing. Literally, it was below freezing. <laughs> I don't know what the low was, but I, when I came into work this morning, I think it was about 19 degrees. So, uh, I, but being from up north, I'm, I always go out and warm up my car. Give it a little chance. Let, let it warm up a little bit. I had no problem with that today because my, cause my, cause my, my holder I couldn't see out of any of the windows. As long as that's not the case, I have no problem with the cold weather. <laughs> I think it has a lot to do with, uh, and now I'm probably going to expose my weather ignorance here, but uh, the dew point mm-hmm. or something. Because, you know, some days it's freezing cold. It's really cold, but the windows are clear. Yeah. Other days, it's not quite as bad, and you've got this thick ice on there. I think it has to do with the, the humidity and the dew point. But. Yeah, there just wasn't any moisture to freeze over. I was really thankful for that because sometimes when it when the temperature drops really drastically, you're not expecting to go out and warm the car up and, and make sure that you can see th- through the windows. So then you're if you're running a little bit late, <laughs> that's definitely going to push you over the edge. <laughs> do you have a car scraper, window scraper? Uh, I do, but I'm not the fastest at it. <laughs> Usually I just sit in there and wait for it to yeah. melt off. <laughs> well, if you, let it, if you let it warm up ahead of time, then, uh, then the window scraper makes life a lot easier. You don't have to uh, uh, really hammer at it, you know. But yeah, you do see people sometimes driving, and they just get that little yeah. little eye hole down there, and that's <laughs> that's not the best way to drive around. <laughs> so, anyway, lots of, there's snow uh, some places. Uh, you know, even down in Texas, they have snow right now, which is pretty unusual for them. Uh, but they have it down even near Houston area, some down there. And I thought, and they showed the weather map, and that's where they had the snow was down in southern Texas. Rest of the U.S. was fairly clear at that time anyway and i thought man i mean they had just had a hurricane and got flooded and now they're having snow not that it's a lot but still i mean <laughs> it's just something going on there down in houston yeah the cold just came in so suddenly and so uh now it's it's kind of that time of year where the football games become cold weather games i always look forward to that yeah there was a game a couple of years ago i remember where uh i think it was in philadelphia they had all that snow you could barely see, and they had to keep plowing the field like the lines. So those are a lot of fun. <laughs> I would, I would imagine, less injuries too. Oh yeah, because you landed on that soft snow instead of that hard turf, like a nice feathery yeah. pillow. Yeah, that's what they should do. They should play in snow. That would solve a lot <laughs> of the problems. Uh, a couple of uh, headlines to look at today. This one's just sort of maybe an interesting uh, thing for listeners. 
if you have to fly, uh, some some airlines will still give you food. Uh, it's harder to get it, I guess, these days. But they have a uh, a, a review of the uh, in-flight meals, and uh, in the annual review of in-flight meals, researchers found that of all U.S. airlines, Hawaiian Airlines has the most unhealthy in-flight meals, <laughs> according to the study uh, that was published by DietDetective.com. <laughs> Hawaii Hawaiians meals clocked in at an average of 971 calories. That's that's a fair meal right there. That's a that's a uh, quite a helping. Yeah, I think that's uh, it's only fair, like you said, for them to give someone a big meal when they're paying that much for tickets anyway. Yeah, so I don't know what those calories consist of. Probably not great. They say the healthiest meal award was a Thai Delta and Virgin. Both got four out of five stars on uh, the scale they're using, uh, which accounts for factors like calories and accessibility of nutritional information. So I don't I don't read that as it actually being necessarily healthy, but you know what you're getting, I guess. <laughs> and you're getting less, apparently. And so, anyway, Air Canada and JetBlue tied for second, followed by Alaska Airlines, which I've heard good things about. Mm-hmm. I haven't flown them, but uh, United Airlines, American Airlines, and several others. The bulk of unhealthy calories that you eat in the air come from snacks served on flights. Uh, for many of the estimated 51 million holiday travelers, Choosing your snack wisely can be a game changer. So <laughs> there's not a lot of healthy snacks offered there on those uh, those flights usually. Yeah, I usually uh, don't have any clue going on to a flight what's going to be served. So you do have a lot of options in the terminal usually. So that's what I usually rely on. We uh, recently flew uh, through SeaTech uh, in Seattle there, and they had their little uh, the area we were waiting for our flight anyway. Uh, they had... People that a gentleman that they had paid, I guess, to come there and play live music. It was really nice. He was mm-hmm. playing. Uh, I think he was playing the violin. They started playing the piano and wow. stuff. It was great. It was. I've never seen that, but it was really, really nice. The volume was at a good level to where you could enjoy it, but it wasn't like you know over over loud. And it was so funny because it was a busy terminal, and I was walking to look uh, out the window, and uh, I didn't even realize that he was there doing it. I just thought it was just like canned music and i was walked into the guy i was like oh the guy's playing the violin that's him right there so i thought that was really neat pretty cool hey not a bad job i don't know what it pays but i mean if he was a good musician and people were you know giving him some tips and i think people really enjoyed it so that was a neat that was a neat experience that actually does make a huge difference to have live music especially in a stressful environment like the airport where usually you're rushing to get to your next flight or you're interacting with complete strangers some of whom may be uh, sick or just extremely unpleasant to fly with in other ways. So at least if you're getting some live music like that, the Charlotte, North Carolina airport just has a piano out in the open at the food court, and there's always a guy playing on that for tips as well. But you can just enjoy that atmosphere while you're going between flights. Yeah, that's a kind of a neat thing. Uh, here's a headline from the Daily Mail. We're living in the age of robots, by the way. More and more robots. This is a, it just, I guess, highlights the uh, destruction of human relationships. They said, would you date a robot? More than a quarter of millennials say that they would replace a human with a droid. I don't know what that says. Uh, well, I know what it says. It's bad. <laughs> uh, it's a new report. They say it's looked at people's attitudes to the future of technology of 12,000 people interviewed. So uh, it's a pretty good sample size. Over a quarter of the 18 to 34-year-olds said that they would date a robot. Men were found to be three times more likely to date robots than women. So that's uh, that says a lot, I guess, about the um, just the attitudes people have. A couple of other findings, 27% of 18 to 34-year-olds 
uh, well, I guess that the same same stat there about the robots. But then it goes on to say British men uh, were more likely to do that. Men are also more likely than women to prefer their social media lives to their real ones. Seventy percent said that smartphones are weakening human bonds. Forty two percent of the millennials said that they report f- uh, feeling depressed or unhappy after seeing other people's lives online. And 40 percent of people aged between 18 and 34 are concerned that robots will take their jobs. So robots, smartphones, all, all of those things are, uh, I think, at least aiding in uh, people becoming less connected to each other in a real meaningful way to the bizarre point where some people are seriously thinking about robots as some sort of a, a partner in life, I guess. Yeah, that, that's it's uh, real extreme there with the robots where people on the one hand might resent them or fear them for possibly taking their jobs, but on the other hand might even become attracted to them. Uh, obviously there's something seriously wrong there uh, sexually if people are going to get attracted to something that's outside the realm of human beings. And we've we've seen a societal trend in that direction, though, where if, if you want to like someone of your same gender or you want to be transgender and like uh, whomever that may be, I don't even know how that actually works, well, that's fine. And people have asked, well, what about uh, pedophilia and bestiality and things like that? I mean, getting involved with a robot doesn't seem much more normal than those two things. Yeah, it's uh, once the rule, the normal rules of the family is are cast off. Uh, where does it stop? And so the, we, there's a great, great book uh, at the trumpet.com, the missing dimension in sex that uh, really uh, highlights God's intended purpose of marriage and family and sex and those things. It's a really good read and it's free at thetrumpet.com, especially in today's society uh, because things are getting so weird with some of that stuff. So uh, related to that, well, this is from Reuters, uh, nearly half of humans believe in alien life and want to make contact. A survey in 24 countries has found in what researchers said helps to explain the lasting popularity of the Star Wars franchise 40 years after the first movie was screened. So the new the new one's coming out here, I think it's next uh, Friday, a week, a week away. And people are very excited about that in a lot of cases, And uh, but <laughs> over half of people surveyed think that there's alien life out there and alien civilizations and they want to make contact. Um, and I just think, well, but what do people think about God, though? <laughs> you know, a lot of times people have a hard time believing in God, in God's word, and yet they think there's aliens roaming around out there. Yeah, again, another paradox where people are so quick to look to other planets and see if there's any life out there. Uh, there and, and probably a lot of that is just dissatisfaction with what they find on the Earth, isn't it? If, if we don't like living here, m- might we want to try out a one-way ticket to a Mars colony, something like that. We've seen we've seen scientific projects aiming toward that type of goal. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, there is actually life out there that we can't see, and right here that we can't see. It's just a spirit realm that people are just less willing to believe in. Yeah, and I think all these sort of stories they just they do highlight the the, the biblical truth that Satan is a god of this world. And he blinds the minds of people because people are willing to believe in just about anything, but not really willing to look into the Bible. You know, you think if you were willing to think that they're based on no evidence at all, that there's some sort of alien civilization out there. If people are willing to believe that, wouldn't they be willing to look into the Bible and try to live it and see if it works? But people aren't interested in that. Yeah, it, it is extremely indicative of Satan's power that he's able to sway people in the direction of aliens but 
then at the same time have them scorning anything that the Bible might say. And and like we always talk about, it does get back to the fact that the Bible says you have to do certain things. People these days don't like being told to do anything. Um, you know, maybe they'll go along with political correctness or the latest social trend, uh, but they don't want God telling them what to do. They're, they're more likely to let a man tell them what to do than God. And of course, also, you know, if you bring up Satan, the idea of something like that, people are quick to scoff. Oh, come on. But they believe in aliens. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't quite, uh, it doesn't quite compute how you can believe in one and not, not the other. So it would actually uh, be more uh, comforting to believe in uh, the spirit realm, like Satan and the demons, because then at least that would explain why certain people are as evil as they are, why Hitler and Stalin could have existed. Otherwise, you're just saying that human beings by themselves can reach that level of depravity. At least if you have Satan and, and the demons as a possibility, you can you can say that they might have contributed to those types of things. P- haven't people seen movies about aliens? You don't want to meet them. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> right? There's never a good good movie about that. They're always doing things that, uh, you know, that's always the funny part of those types of movies. Uh, and I haven't seen many, but, you know, occasionally I've seen a few, I guess. And, and uh, you know, th- they always depict it as some sort of a really bizarre, odd slug creature, <laughs> with, you know, that doesn't have normal hands and doesn't speak English or any language that we know of. And uh, and then people always say, well, maybe we could get along or we could coexist. I'm like, with the slugs? <laughs> right. <laughs> who, wants to, who wants to ride the, you know, the subway next to the slug man? <laughs> yeah, in so many of those movies, too, they depict the aliens invading from the sky. They're always attacking, yeah, right? right. They're, always, they're always trying to take over what the humans have. And you could see that uh, being like a counterfeit to the return of Jesus Christ where he's going to come down and people are going to be conditioned from all these different movies to say, well, anything coming out of the sky is some sort of hostile alien life form that we must fight back against. Yeah, for sure. Cause that's how that it always, it always plays out. Um, here's a headline from Associated Press, the Brexit talks. They've, I guess, reached uh, some level of that, uh, some agreement there. Britain and the European Union hammered out a deal early Friday that allows Brexit talks to finally move on to the all-important issues of trade and the future relationship between the two. <laughs> It'll be bad. Uh, but some of the details appeared contradictory, and many of the toughest issues remain unresolved. The last stumbling block had involved the border between Ireland, which is an EU member, and Northern Ireland, which is part of the United Kingdom, after Britain leaves the EU, that will be the only land border between the two. So they're trying to hammer out all those details. Um, that would be uh, that would be interesting to be in those meetings and try to uh, go through all the different things they have to talk about. Um, some people might really enjoy it. That sounds like a real snooze fest to me. <laughs> I know it's important, but from what I understand about the EU, the bureaucracy is uh, pretty pretty thick. <laughs> so there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> it does highlight how different Europe is from what we have over here in North America. Obviously we have a border with Mexico and a border with Canada. They're two separate nations and you can't just freely go back and forth uh, without any sort of identification, which it seems like you're able to do in Europe because they're all part of the European union. Now that Brexit has happened, they're having a hard time figuring out uh, how to do what we've been always doing with Mexico and Canada. Yeah, they have to make some changes there. So anyway, that's an ongoing situation and uh, a lot of a lot of uh, bitterness, I think, there. And I don't think anybody's happy with the way those deals are coming about with the Brexit talks. So 
interesting to keep an eye on that. And of course, uh, we have uh, a lot of the trumpet riders uh, right there in uh, the uh, over there in England, in the UK, and they uh, have their uh, finger on the pulse of what's happening there. So check the trumpet.com for more about that. Yeah, and surprisingly, some even some French leaders have been surprisingly outspoken about uh, Brexit, saying that they want to make an example of. Britain and that they are the United Kingdom they want to punish them for making that choice and it's especially shocking when you think of the history of it where France is also one of those tribes of Israel there they should be brothers with those United Kingdom uh, nations or or I guess that collective there and yet uh, they have gone the way of the European Union at least for now yeah it's sort of like a, a divorce you know where people might say well it'll it'll be uh, amicable and we'll all get along but it's always bad blood right that's the same sort of thing uh here's a headline from the sun uh, rage around the world jerusalem riots spread to indonesia and malaysia as terror group hamas promises day of rage over trump uh over embassy move muslims in indonesia and malaysia joined rallies outside the country's u.s embassies with malaysia's sports uh, minister threatening the world will rise against the United States. <laughs> so we'll see. Hundreds have also taken part in the protests in Iran with state TV airing footage of marchers chanting death to America and death to Israel. <laughs> Why don't they just play old footage? Because they do it like once a month, don't they? Yeah. What do people in Indonesia and Malaysia have to do with the the uh, situation over there in Israel? It is, it is pretty confusing to see that. Did you say they're all Muslims who are doing this? Uh, that's what it says. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess they, they might have that in common. But other than that, they're on a completely different part of the world. It it doesn't really make sense that they should be so concerned about this. And they're jumping on board. Uh, Palestinian Islamist movement Hamas, which runs the Gaza Strip, has called for a day of rage with its leader, uh, <clears throat> saying that um, a new uprising should uh, be launched Hundreds uh, more police officers have been deployed to Jerusalem's old city today with further conflicts feared. So we'll see. They showed some of uh, the, uh, the uh, protesting last night. I was watching one of the national news programs. And, it, I mean, it's it seriously looked like every protest I've seen for the last uh, 30 or so years where there's one side's throwing rocks and the other side's got Israel's got the shields and they occasionally they'll shoot like some pepper spray out there or something and the other ones throw rocks back and I I'm pretty sure that the reporter uh, a US reporter that was broadcasting you know live and everything trying to make it you know the war zone type feel I guess I think they were on the side I think they were over on the Palestinian side actually <laughs> I'm pretty sure from what it looked like to me I thought wow that's reason yeah i guess maybe if they're part of the side that's attacking maybe most of the rocks won't hit them i don't know <laughs> and probably ideologically most reporters would agree with the palestinian or the or the arab side of things sadly enough even though they should know more than anyone what the actual reality of the situation is yeah it's i think they were over on the palestinian side and then uh something got shot over some projectile whatever they're shooting and uh, it, it got close to the reporter, so he, you know, took off running. And, you know, I just thought, well, what a, you know, they're just trying to make, like, a ratings grab there. They could easily move, like, a, not even a mile, probably, like, 40 feet the other direction and just they'd be fine. Mm-hmm. But they're trying to make it like they're in this war zone and all that. So I, I thought it was kind of shoddy reporting. You know, yeah. just the guy was standing right in the line of stuff hoping to maybe get hit, I guess. And he did. He got, it didn't hurt him. It just bumped him or whatever so anyway i just you know i think everybody remembers like the legendary reporting from say real wars 
and then <laughs> I think the modern day reporters kind of want to get in the mix there. But a lot of times they do get hurt or they have problems happen. That happened in um, Egypt. They had some women reporting there. Remember during the Islam, the uh, Arab Spring, there were some problems there. So you got to be careful where you go as a reporter. How many reporters uh, that we hear of who get injured or killed are just putting themselves too close to the situation? It, I don't. F- I don't think a lot of them have to be as close to the action as they are, like like you've been saying. Uh, but it, it is kind of like a an attention grab or maybe a little bit of dramatism that they're engaging in there. Yeah, they were trying to make it out. The report that I saw, you know, they were like, well, the Israelis are much better armed than the Palestinians. And trying to make it seem like it was an unfair deal. Like, well, and, and it was the same thing you always see. The Israelis were just kind of standing there holding the line. And once in a while, they got to shoot something out there to keep them under control. And I think it was some sort of pepper spray or something. It wasn't bullets or anything like that. And meanwhile, the other side of the Palestinians just chucking rocks at them. You know, same old same. So anyway, that's uh, they, they want more of that rage, I guess. So we'll see what happens over there. And those are the types of people they're trying to negotiate peace with in the right. Middle East. They're further exposing themselves as not being of a sound mind to negotiate with. Sure, and and I ran out there, of course, the people you know, stirred up to go and, and chant death to America and death to Israel. You know, are, are we supposed to believe, like, oh, we were so close to peace. <laughs> we were just right right there, and then the last second it didn't work out. <laughs> they're, they're chanting death, death, you know. That would be like, I don't know, it's just, like you said, just the weird thinking there. Um, it'll be interesting to hear the Watch Jerusalem program this weekend, of course, uh, uh, Brett Noctegall's right over there. He's in Jerusalem, so he's got a bird's eye view, I guess, of uh, some of these things. I mean, he's living in the, the hottest spot on earth right now in terms of uh, turmoil. Yeah, and there have been times where there's been a terrorist attack, and he's literally just been a block away at the time that it happened. So he's he's pretty close to the action, thankfully not close enough to get hurt by it, but um, he's definitely not trying to <laughs> seek out the terrorist either. Yeah, stay out, stay out of the rock zones. Um, you know, it's interesting. One other story here, a big, big story has been, of course, these, uh, the Me Too movement and the, the sexual assaults and, and accusations. And so, uh, Franken, he, um, uh, stepped down yesterday from, uh, the Senate, I guess. And, you know, as, as this whole movement unfolds, I think a lot of people have been kind of looking at it thinking, uh, well, it's, it's interesting. It's just interesting timing. Like why now? Why, why does everybody start talking about this now? And I had those same thoughts. And my first thought was, this has got to be like politically motivated in some way. And uh, I don't know that, but that's just a guess. And uh, some others agree. Uh, FoxNews.com has this. Democrats forced Franken out to ramp up their strategy to bring down President Trump. And they write, Franken himself signaled what the Democratic playbook will be in 2018. He said it was ironic that he is leaving office when President Trump, who has been accused of sexual misconduct, sits in the Oval Office. Franken also said his departure was ironic because Republican Roy Moore, who has been accused of sexual misconduct, may win a special election to the Senate from uh, that state Tuesday. And so uh, Fox News contributor Ed Rollins, who's a former uh, Reagan political director, said Democrats see the Russia probe petering out, the economy growing and ISIS in retreat. They have to change the argument too. Republicans are complicit in the abuse of women. And that's what they think is going on. Yeah. And that does make a lot of sense that that would be their strategy. Obviously, they're always on the attack. They're not they're not bringing up substantive issues to debate and to try to convince the American people that they're in the right. They're just 
they're just attacking in different ways. The thing with Al Franken is that there is legitimate proof that at least one or more of his accusa- or of his accusers are telling the truth. The thing with Roy Moore and President Trump is that many of those accusations have been debunked. Even friends and family members of the accusers have said that the accusers are liars. Um, even the logistics of the situation, like on the airplane, there was that there's that accuser of President Trump where like there was an armrest in the way that would have made it impossible for what she was saying he was doing to even have happened. So uh, there are a lot of details like that that make accusers of Roy Moore and President Trump dubious at best. That's what the difference is. There should be due process and there should be a way to ascertain who is actually committing assault and who is just being accused about it i would not put it past people on the left to just randomly get together accusers to try to bring down their opponents it probably happened to bill o'reilly as well it's interesting it's been a it's been a movement that's got a lot of traction even some some that are on more on the left side now are saying well maybe we i mean you know maybe we should at least investigate this before everyone's forced out but uh, in in uh, the speech that uh, Mr. Franken gave there, he was quick to go after the other side too, and that's I think that's what it comes down to is, you know, accusing uh, different sides. So I don't know if there's a political reason behind it or not, but but it's certainly being used in some ways. There's this one individual who's an actor, a child actor, that for years has said there's been um, assault against kids in Hollywood, and uh, people have said, well, why don't you like say who the people are? And he said, well, I have. And they said, nah, you never have. Well, I just found out in 93 he gave testimony to the police saying who all the people were. And mm-hmm. it just showed up now. So it's it's interesting that it's just coming out now. Yeah, and and it does expose the dark underbelly of Hollywood, of politics, the media. Uh, there is a lot of disturbing stuff going on. Uh, what you'd have to look at, though, is the mindset of people on the left versus those on the right. You hear people on the left smearing people on the right as hating women. They constantly are talking about that. Yet, who are the vast majority of the people being accused right now? Are they not all leftists? Are they not all completely hypocritical where they say they're pro-woman and yet in the background they're sexual predators? It's it's obviously uh, quite a double standard there. And also, why is it that they're trying to point at President Trump and Roy Moore when this whole time with Bill Clinton for three decades they were okay with the things he was accused of. People are trying. People on the left are trying to say that that is now irrelevant. But if you respond to those allegations and defend him until he's politically useless, and then turn around and you only tell Al Franken to step down when he's also politically useless, you start to see a pattern there. It's not that the action is wrong. It's that you can't be used to help the Democrats win anymore. And now we're going to talk about uh, respecting women. Yeah, that's what uh, some anyway think some political strategists there, even at uh, this piece in Fox, they say that there there's a few people that are worth throwing under the bus to to get the the bigger narrative out there. So Al Franken is going to be replaced by a Democrat, probably someone more radical than he is. So obviously they could afford him stepping down. That I mean every in every one of these cases where they actually speak out against it, it's because it is politically expedient for them. The pattern is obvious. 
it's gonna be interesting to see how it all unfolds. But uh, it's uh, it's big news, and some people are wondering what the uh, the reason for it is. All of a the sudden, <laughs> when <laughs> these things have been going on for years, I mean, they shouldn't go on, but they but they do. But now all of a sudden, it's an issue. So, well, is is rape wrong, or is it not? Right. Does it, yeah. Is is it really a matter of how society feels about it, or is it wrong? This is what we keep talking about with all these different issues. They they're talking about how well now we're now we're it's 2017 and we're we're finally changing our views on this. No, no one ever believed that rape was okay. You just covered for it when it was convenient for you, and now you're pretending like you have somehow had all of our minds changed on the subject. That's not true. Yeah, it's. Uh if if there's uh hypocrisy there it's it's of getting exposed at least on some level so uh it's just a good warning to everybody <laughs> to uh to uh live by the law that's the important <laughs> thing uh the check that out today uh make sure you look at the top story the fatal flaw in modern science that's by trumpet editor in chief Gerald flurry as knowledge increases so do world evils here's why science can't solve our problems and uh we just see that in every industry you look there is more advancement but then there are more problems as well. Also, the Trump Daily Radio Show with your host, Stephen Flurry. Make sure you listen for that. And a brand new Key of David program this weekend, The Most Deadly Climate Change Deception. The recent rise of natural disasters worldwide has sparked a heated debate. Is climate change to blame? Make sure you listen for that program. It's coming up here on KPCG. Also, it's online at thetrumpet.com. You can watch the video and on television this weekend. And uh, there's, yeah, I mean, when I think about all the different things going on with the disasters recently, of course, the most recent is those L.A. fires. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what people think about that, if they jump in with the climate change or if they they have another thought on it. Climate change is such an easy target for ridicule. I mean, you, you step outside in the morning like today or yesterday and you see that the temperature has dropped by 50 degrees. Obviously, the climate changed, but we're talking about has it changed more than a degree or two in the last several centuries? No. So that can't be a cause for why natural disasters are all of a sudden increasing. There, I saw a headline the other day where uh, there was people that are saying the oceans are rising and it's going to flood everybody. They were caught faking the data. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> so it, it doesn't stay in the news for long, but there's enough stories like that where, where you're like, okay, well... Uh, it just gets back to what we were talking about the other day and how the more you stop and really look at things, you just see so many lies all over the place. People just being lied to regularly and, and just accepting it. You know, the oceans are rising. Well, are they or aren't they? Because the stats say they're not, but somebody says they are. I don't know. Uh, I suppose there might be one. The tide comes in and it goes out. I mean, it does rise and it goes back. But at the same time, uh, you know, I haven't seen, you know, the Statue of Liberty get flooded like every movie that they make <laughs> right. about it or things like that. So, I, But like you said, it's a convenient argument because they'll just say, well, you know, you just wait 10,000 years. I'll be right. Well, <laughs> exactly. no one's going to be here uh, physically anyway. Uh, if we're alive now, we won't be here 10,000 years physically. Uh, so that's a convenience to that argument. It's so long to see the proof that you can say almost whatever you want. Yeah, it's actually brilliant. You have to give them credit for picking a topic that you can't definitively prove wrong, obviously without the help of the Bible. The Bible does talk about how God controls the storms. He's in charge of the weather, what types of storms develop, where they hit, how hard they strike. That is God's doing. We can tell that by the Bible, but if you're just looking for physical evidence, 
you're right. It's going to take 10,000 years for us to ever tell definitively uh, that climate change is, is a hoax. You know, instead of climate change, the, what should be focused on is behavioral change, you know, change of thinking in mm-hmm. terms of, you know, are we, are we living by the law of God or aren't we? You know, and you just see, you never see whenever a, a major catastrophe happens, and granted, they could happen in a lot of different places. It's not to say one city's worse than the other, but at the same time, you know, there's there's sin involved in a lot of those places. You never hear anybody come out and say, "Well, we need to really examine how we're living." You know, they might say that in terms of like recycling, <laughs> but no, I mean, how are we living? Are we uh, living by the laws of God or are we not? You know, how many murders happen in those cities? What's the drug problem like? What, how about questions like that? I mean, half half of the population believes in aliens. <laughs> couldn't couldn't we look and say, well, you know, this creator God that that uh, exists and that created everything has laws, and if we break them, we're going to have problems. How ethical are the people who are faking the data? The people who know that what they're pushing is false, yet they push it anyway. It says a lot about that whole movement that nearly all the science about it is junk science. That nearly all the data is fraudulent. That that should tell us all we need to know. That's personal behavior. That is, those are people who have made lying such a habit in their lives that they are willing to get paid lots of money for it and deceive millions of people by doing it. Obviously, th- that involves broken laws as well. Yeah, it's sort of the situational ethics. Like, yeah, I'm lying, but it's for a good cause. But you can't do that. No. You know? So anyway, make sure you watch that Key of David program. Very important. Uh, check, check that out this weekend. The most deadly climate change deception. It'll be a favorite of scientists. <laughs> <laughs> they always like this. Uh, here's a couple things that happened on this day in history. This first one's not uh, all that important, but I just find it uh, interesting. 1940 it was the first NFL championship game on national radio the bears beat the redskins 73 to nothing oh, right that's the only, the only reason i remember that one is because of the score <laughs> you know you get to the championship game and you're like all right guys and then you lose 73 to nothing you know i can't remember i don't that must be the biggest blowout in the history of the nfl i don't think there's ever been a bigger one that i can think of yeah i think you're right and you said that was the first radio yeah. broadcast yeah <laughs> you can imagine the radio companies all right boys this is our big day <laughs> we're yeah. finally broadcasting the championship game that reminds me of uh north korea when they finally showed a world cup game because their team was doing well recently in the world cup and it was the game where portugal beat them like seven or nine to zero <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and and then when the north korean team came home they were put in an arena full of tens of thousands of people and all the people just yelled at them and ridiculed them <laughs> that, that was their punishment for doing that poorly so it's like yeah the one time that you want to broadcast something prestigious like this and the outcome is just not at all satisfactory that must have been before they like had the mercy rule where they stopped trying to score right <laughs> 73 to nothing that's uh that's pretty bad more importantly, 1941 on this day, U.S. and Britain declared a war on Japan. Uh, U.S. enters World War II. Here is, and there's a lot of, of course, history about World War II. I think most people know, but here's some interesting facts that you may not know about World War II, according to Business Insider. The first German serviceman killed in the war was killed by the Japanese. <laughs> you guys are on the same side. Lots of deaths are accidental, of course. Polish Catholic midwife, uh, I can't say her name, it was really long, delivered 3,000 babies in the Auschwitz concentration camp during the Holocaust in occupied Poland. Can you imagine that? Oh, wow. I mean, yeah, that's just uh, obviously the worst situation you could yeah. ever be born into, and, and I don't even want to think about what they did to a lot of those babies. Obviously, the 
scientific experiments if they even let them live at all. Yeah, it would be interesting to find out if any of those babies survived. That's uh, what a sad thing, too, because that's such a joyful occasion to have a baby in but a horrible situation. 1941, in 1941, more than 3 million cars were manufactured in the U.S., but only 139 more were made during the entire war. Wow. So, because most of those companies started making, you know, things for the war, uh, you know, tanks and other other things. So only 139 more cars were made. I don't think a lot of people were buying cars during World War II, but <laughs> I could be wrong. Uh, four of every five German soldiers killed in the war died on the Eastern Front. Most of them uh, died there in, in uh, Russia dealing with that. Of course, if you read about the history of Stalingrad and that battle, that was a, that was a disaster. Uh, and, uh, of course, a lot of the Germans, when they knew they were losing, they wanted to hold back the Russians so they could get captured by America. <laughs> that evil, <laughs> wicked Imperial America. <laughs> wow. uh, it's because, uh, obviously, the West would treat them better. Yeah, I mean, the the fighting over there on the Eastern Front, it really was so so savage. It was like animals just tearing each other apart. Russia is characterized by a bear, and that's really how they were fighting. And then you have America, which is obviously a benevolent superpower and is going to treat people well whenever they capture them uh it does say a lot that the germans hope to uh be captured by us instead yeah and hitler in stalingrad hitler left his uh army that was there that the portion of it he let them be destroyed he could have got them out or at least made an effort to do it but he wouldn't do it (laughs) and so they got surrounded and they got uh obliterated by the russians only 20 percent of the males born in the soviet union in 1923 survived the war so I was just thinking about that and how uh, scarce that would you'd be. I mean, I don't know how many women survived, but <laughs> probably a lot more women around than men at that time. Uh, only one out of every four men serving on U-boats survived. It's amazing. You see, like, even with the anniversary of Pearl Harbor, you see, you know, people that are, some people that are still alive from it, uh, you know, and they, they get uh, honored, but it still is a, uh, it really weighs on them, obviously. But there's just not a lot of people that survive those things, so they're pretty rare when you see them. Yeah, that's the scariest part to me. If you're on some sort of a, a sea craft or an aircraft and you're, you're in battle, if you get hit in a certain way, obviously you're either you're going to drown or crash land. Uh, you can't really escape it. At least, at least if you're fighting on foot, you can hide and hopefully, hopefully get away from the rest of the group that might be getting killed, but... Yeah, if you're on some sort of a craft, that's you all go down together. Yeah, uh, to avoid this, there are some interesting facts from World War II that uh, maybe you don't know, maybe you do, but uh, because today being the anniversary of the U.S. getting involved in the war, to avoid using the German-sounding name Hamburger, Hamburger, during World War II, Americans used the name Liberty Steak. <laughs> <laughs> Can I have some Liberty Steak, please? Uh, I wonder great. if there's any restaurants called that, you know, Liberty Steak Restaurant or something. That's an awesome name. I mean, that obviously should be a name of a restaurant. I wonder how many restaurants, if you went there, would know that you're talking about a burger. It's a good question. Try it out. Especially, They should do that for like 4th of July or you know some of these dates. Adolf Hitler's nephew, William Hitler, served in the U.S. Navy during World War II. Hmm. I didn't know that. you think it would have viewed him with a little bit of suspicion. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, this is interesting, uh, even for today. During World War II, the largest Japanese spy ring was actually located in Mexico. So uh, those lands are important and what goes on there. And, I mean, even, we've heard even uh, lately, I mean, I guess over the last few years that, you know, there was uh, uh, terrorists that were in Mexico, you know, trying to get through, come up through South America from, like, you know, the Middle East. 
you know, if you have an open portal into your country, lots of people come across and people that you don't want coming across to. That's the importance of expanding beyond your borders, especially if you're a superpower and you have the ability to do that, making sure that the land to your north and to your south beyond your borders is secured. All the islands in the Caribbean, uh, obviously Cuba, which was almost used as a launching pad for the Soviet Union to attack the United States. You have to be on the lookout for all of those different locations because people who don't like you being the superpower are going to try to exploit those. Yeah. Uh, another one here, the mortality rate for POWs in Russian camps was 85%. You weren't going to do very well if you were uh, in one of those camps. Had it been necessary for a third atom bomb, the city targeted would have been Tokyo. Ooh. So it's a good thing that they surrendered when they did. And finally, and this one's always interesting, I've heard this one before, uh, Hiro Onada, Onada, I believe his name, an Imperial Japanese Army intelligence officer who fought in World War II never surrendered in 1945. Until 1974, for almost 30 years, he held his position in the Philippines. His former commander traveled from Japan to personally issue orders relieving him from duty in 1974. <laughs> he, wouldn't, <laughs> he wouldn't give up his ground until his... Uh, former commanding officer showed up what a legend i have to to admire that that is that is absolute duty and devotion to your cause (laughs) yeah he was uh, i mean that it is it is astounding that somebody would do that and uh, that does just show you the spirit of uh, those people the japanese that you know unless they were beaten with overwhelming force they would not have stopped Mm -hmm. and so in a way i mean there is something noble about that Obviously, <laughs> we, we're glad that they didn't win the war, but, I mean, there's a certain nobility to having that loyalty to duty no matter what. So there's a picture. You can find a picture of him coming out <laughs> 1970. What a different world he comes into, right? <laughs> 1974. I would not I would not have wanted to be near him when he came out because you don't know what he's going to do. <laughs> like, okay, we're not fighting anymore. But some interesting uh, factoids there from World War II because uh, on this day in history, that's when the U.S. got involved in it. Uh, we want to finish up this week talking about this really great reprint article on the authority of the Bible. Uh, we talked about some of the keys to understanding the Bible. And there's also a segment in this reprint article uh, that asks us this very important question and answers it. Should we use the Old Testament? When uh, people think about Christianity, uh, they think about the New Testament in most cases. Many professing Christians think the Old Testament is done away. What does the Bible say about that? very sad that people believe that because the Ten Commandments are in the Old Testament, the blessings and curses for uh, either obedience or disobedience are in the Old Testament. There are so many pivotal prophecies that tell us what's going to take place in the old in the end time, and those are all in the Old Testament. Clearly, we can be using the Old Testament to our benefit today, but uh, people usually think of the Old Testament as uh, laws and restrictions and maybe just the book of a judgmental, jealous, cruel God. Yeah, there's this, Mr. Armstrong, he he wrote this and he talks about uh, this young guy that was a Bible student and came to him and said, you know, I never really proved that Christ is the Messiah. And he said, I, you know, I don't know how I would prove that. And Mr. Armstrong showed him, you have to look at the Old Testament to prove that. So the irony in that is if, if, if a person is to believe in Christ as a savior, uh, you have to believe the Old Testament to prove that that's what uh, he is. And Mr. Armstrong said, many have gained the idea that Christians should never read the Old Testament at all. Many seem to believe that that part of the Bible was done away and that it was only for the Jewish people of long ago. Uh, 
And he says, there's a great difference between the old covenant that set Israel up as a nation and those scriptures we call by the name Old Testament. Sometimes people think it's the same thing, but it, the old covenant and the old Testament are, they're different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that totally, I never really thought about that before, but all of traditional Christianity, anyone that says the old Testament is irrelevant to us today, they can just pack up and go home because obviously there's no way for them to even prove that they have a savior and that tears apart their entire religion. Why even, why even go to church and make a display of your beliefs when you can't prove a single one of them, uh, that that just exposes that they they don't prove their beliefs. They don't have any foundation for why they believe what they do. That's how you can go off into thinking that putting ornaments on an evergreen tree in your house and putting gifts beneath them is normal, or that bunny rabbits laying eggs is normal, because they don't prove any of their beliefs to begin with. Yeah, and 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 for those that would say, well, you know, they think Christ did away with the. Old Testament, <laughs> which he didn't. You have to stop and think about the fact that, uh, as Mr. Armstrong points out, for about six years after the crucifixion and resurrection, resurrection of Jesus Christ and the founding of the New Testament church, the New Testament church uh, had and used only the Old Testament scriptures. I mean, when Christ came, what did he teach out of? He taught out of what they had, which was the Old Testament. He said, you know, those scriptures prophesy of me. And so, and people knew those that knew the scriptures and got opened their minds. They said, "Oh, this is what's been prophesied," you know, in these uh, Old Testament scriptures. It's all they had, and so it's easy for people to not really think about that. Well, what did Christ teach when he came? He taught out of the Old Testament. Yeah, those sermons before the masses that people take so much inspiration from today—they're full of Old Testament quotes. There wouldn't be much substance to the messages that Christ gave to the masses if he didn't quote the Old Testament. So every every way you look at it, the Old Testament is foundational. It is something that you have to have if you're going to be a true Christian. Yeah, and, and uh, Ephesians 2, 19 through 20 points out here, now therefore you are built, talking about the, the church today, the New Testament church, uh, you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So, you know, we can understand that picture. If you're going to build a building, you don't obliterate the foundation and say, yeah, it's built upon that. (laughs) Well, you obliterated it. It's built upon uh, the Old Testament and what it taught. And then in John 5, 39, Christ said, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and they are they which testify of me. And so to to be able to even prove who Christ was and what he did, which is foundational to Christianity, where do you go to look? You have to go to the Old Testament. Right, the the prophecies that say that even when Christ was crucified, his bones would never be broken. That's in the Old Testament. Sure enough, against all the odds, that actually happened uh, on that day. There are so many prophecies like that that are just incredible, but they, they do show that Christ was the Messiah, the fact that he'd be three days and three nights dead in the earth before being resurrected. Sure enough, when they uh, went down into the tomb, they couldn't find his body. The signs like that, are all there, but they're in the Old Testament, and that's where you have to look for them. There's uh, another thing that Christ said, which is really uh, convicting, if, you, if, if a person thinks that the Old Testament's not relevant. John uh, 5, 46 and 47, he said, For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? So, if, you know, for people that claim to uh, follow Christ today and Christ's words... He says, well, you have to believe Moses' writings as well. The Pharisees tried to kill Christ for saying that 
he was one greater than Moses, even though Moses would have believed the same thing. He would have written that that was the case. Uh, they didn't know Moses as well as they thought they did, obviously, if they're going to be chasing him down and trying to run him off a cliff. Yeah, they uh, they had a hard time believing him at that time. And that's what's always so interesting. You know, uh, I think people tend to think today, like, well, if Christ was here, you know, we we wouldn't treat him the way that he was treated when he was on the earth the first time. Um, <laughs> are you sure about that? <laughs> it's easy to think that, but uh, uh, these people at the time were very uh, very religious in their own way. They had their beliefs, and they thought that they were quite religious, and uh, yet they killed him. And so... Uh, the the human heart is a lot darker than people think think of think of how he would actually be received it would just be overwhelmingly negative i mean if you just look at any old secular conservative and the way that they're treated they're called every derogatory name imaginable what if christ came back and said that homosexuality is a sin marriage is between one man and one woman there are only two genders and there's a reason for that life begins at conception all these different things. And then he said, this is by the power of God and uh, you are condemned if you don't believe it. I mean, obviously people are not going to respond well to that. That's a highly corrective type of a message, yet it's straight out of the Bible, which is often ridiculed today. Right, because uh, the the scholars of the time and the religious people of the time, of course, tried to trick him. They give him some trick questions, and they could never do it because obviously he he was the Word of God. <laughs> he he knew what the Scripture said, and he they could never uh, catch him because he had the right answers. And so, what do you do with somebody like that? Believe him? Well, they killed him because they just didn't want to hear it anymore. And then even when you when you go and you read about uh, the deacon uh, Stephen and what he did, I mean, he gave this really epic sermon to uh, the people of uh, uh, that he was dealing with, and they were so mad they shut their ears. And then they killed them, threw them off, the, I think, the, the roof of the temple, mm-hmm. if that's... Uh, if that's I think that's the the thought on what happened there, but but uh, yeah, it just shows that people just don't want to hear it. And the more the more true it is, and the more it cuts somebody to the heart, the angrier they become. In most cases, are we really so different from that type of violence today? Obviously, the violence is so much worse. There are so many other influences today that make us more violent now than we've ever been, and you see that all the time. Where if people lose an argument they often turn to violence that's why college campuses are often turned upside down uh, because there are people who get upset they lose an argument they don't like a conservative speaker who will actually hit them with some facts so they start burning things and, and tearing things up and they would definitely try to hurt the person who was who was there speaking if they could get to him if they could get past security that's a very violent age you see assaults taking place all the time and we've actually been almost conditioned to think that, oh, well, if he's a Nazi, if he's a bad person, then it's justified punching him. Christ would be called a Nazi today, probably. Well, the well, what's interesting, if you just look at the the trends and the headlines and things, is that in, in any of these social issues that come up or any issue, if, if the word of God is brought into it, people become very angry. They don't want to hear that. Uh, but there is sort of this rejoicing if they can find somebody who claimed to speak the word of God and they catch them sinning. They catch them doing something they shouldn't do. There is sort of this uh, rejoicing and glee, almost like, ah, see, you said this, but you don't do it. And so there is just an animosity and a hatred towards towards the word of God. And, and uh, even the New Testament, too, there is so much in the New Testament that flat out condemns some of the social movements in the society. 
I mean, without question. You don't have to read between the lines. And yet, somehow that is still kind of pushed aside, even by confessing Christians. Like, well, yeah, different times today. And, uh, you know, evolving Constitution, evolving Scripture, we can read into it what we want to. And, and But Christ didn't teach that. He said, you know, you're built on the foundation of the, uh, the apostles and the prophets from years ago, including Moses. If you don't believe what Moses said, you don't believe me. And Moses, of course, was used to write the Ten Commandments. Absolutely. We, we see today the logical capabilities of a two-year-old child, the way that they think that, well, uh, because, because we have changed, of course, the truth has also changed to fit what we're doing. That's never how it works. In any field, if you fundamentally change all the laws, you're not going to get the same results. You're not going to find any success. Yet, because it's morality somehow we can disregard all laws and we'll we're, we'll be better off for it and and in fact the laws are now updated to uh basically back up what we're doing already it's just so backward and i think anyone who really stops to think about that logically knows that that can't stand up yeah you can re- you can man can rewrite his own laws i guess but you can't rewrite the bible's laws god's laws and uh, in uh, Paul, when he was uh, giving instruction to the New Testament church in Romans fifteen four, said, Whatsoever things were written aforetime, which would have been Old Testament, uh, were written for our learning. Are people going to the Old Testament to learn something today? You know, is there something to learn there? Also in 2 Timothy three fifteen through 17, uh, Paul wrote that uh, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, all of it. <laughs> it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And with the end goal that the man may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So uh, it's not being used in most cases, certainly not the Old Testament today by most people for correction, for instruction and righteousness, because that would mean that would mean exactly what it says, correction and change, which are not very pleasant things usually until until you have a mind change and you start to enjoy that character development process. But it's not natural. It's not something that we all with our human nature our carnal minds want to engage in and so of course we're going to think that uh this is this is not a pleasant scenario us having to fundamentally change the way we've been living our lives but it is the only way to happiness that's that's the way to look at it if we change then we will have a different result a better result yeah that's that's an an excellent point because it's easy to look at it as sort of this these this law of negativity can't do this can't do that but it's a positive law in the fact that yeah you can't do that because it prevents you from misery and suffering you know no one balks at a law that says don't put your hand directly into a roaring fire <laughs> right? but it's the same sort of it's 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 even more serious than that and so that's the thing to remember that it is a positive law and and where society in general is unhappy, clearly. They, they, I think the thought is, well, if we get further and further away from whatever the law is, we'll be happy. We'll finally be free. But the reality, uh, and it's, it's uh, throughout man's experience, you can see it written, the further away you get from the law of God, then the more unhappy you become. It just becomes this further and further, you know, drug addicts think drugs make them happy, right? To a point, and then they realize that, that it destroys them, but it's probably too late. There's a lot of things in life that are like that. The further away from the law you get, actually, the more unhappy you are. But the opposite is true as well. The further towards the law you get, lo and behold, there's some happiness and joy there. Very true. And and you mentioned the, how people would not 
put their hand into a roaring fire. That's because there are physical laws in place that make the fire unbearably hot and painful to our physical senses. That That's why we wouldn't do something like that. You can't change the physical laws of the universe. You can't all, all of a sudden start hovering above the ground just because you don't believe that gravity is true. It's the same with spiritual laws. Those never change. Uh, the outcomes will never change, whether for keeping them or for breaking them. It's the same every single time. We should actually take comfort in that, knowing that the law is consistent. It's not going to change day to day. We're not going to go uh, from every two weeks arguing over transgender bathrooms or Confederate monuments or uh, when sexual assault is apparently okay to cover up, but now it's okay to expose. It's, it's never going to be like that with God's law because it's consistent every single day. The truth is the truth. At right is right, wrong is wrong. That doesn't change. That's how God works. Yeah, a lot of consistency to that, which is great. Uh, the reprint is the authority of the Bible. Check it out. It's free, and it's at thetrumpet.com, and there's a lot more about this particular topic. Should be easy, Old Testament. You can prove that out for yourself there with that uh, free reprint. Make sure you listen for the uh, Kia David program and the Trumpet Daily Radio Show and the Trumpet Hour Week in Review program all coming up this weekend here on Trumpet Radio. For Grant Turgeon and myself, Dwight Falk, have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you again Monday. You're listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.